If you want to participate, contact me at ordinarywomenpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure you have great projects to brag about. You can also follow me and message me on Instagram at ordinarywomenpodcast, on Twitter at ordinarywomenpc, or on Facebook on the page Ordinary Women. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Ordinary Women. Hi Natasha, welcome, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Lucy. Can you start by giving us a quick introduction of yourself, please? Um, my name is Natasha Jane Hussain. I am 33 years old. I'm based in Kensington, uh, in London, and I'm half Filipino, half Sudanese, and it is my mission in life to elevate our collective quality of life. That sounds so interesting cannot wait to hear everything about this. Um, can you tell us something unusual about yourself? I have a chemistry degree and that chemistry degree slots into me supporting our society in creating higher quality, uh, creating a higher quality of life. Oh, nice. I hope we get to hear a lot more about this after. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Great, can't wait to hear about that. Uh, but before we jump on that, I'd like to know, I'd like to ask this um, podcast by asking, was there a moment in your life when you realized that you are a woman? Yes, um, I would say that yeah. there have been many moments that the context has been different. So I, the first time I really recognized that I was physically a woman was when I went for an open day at an investment bank when I was in high school and I was one of only very few women in the room of hundreds of men, uh, young, young men, we were all students at the time and I realised that I'm in the minority here, I'm in a severe minority and because I studied the science at university, again, I was again a minority in that space. So in the sense of not being one of many women in a space of plenty of men, I recognize that I am a woman, a young woman at that time, teenage girl. Um, as I grew up and I stepped into womanhood, the next time I really recognized that I was a woman was when I went to Bruno Mars concert, okay? The reason why that was significant to me was prior to that time, I was really operating by patriarchal values. I'd work hard, I'd burn myself out, I'd try and fit into the occupational categories that were laid out for me. And I had quite a traditional family, so the idea of a doctor, banker, engineer, <laughs> lawyer, were what was, what was presented. Um, and consequently, I always worked really hard. I was played by the rules, and I was played by masculine rules, the patriarchal masculine rules, which has its advantages, but also has its uh, shadow side, shall we say? It has its shadow mm -hmm. side. And in overworking, I left my femininity behind. When I went to the Bruno Mars concert, it was a personal pleasure that I had not allowed myself for a really long time. 
That was when I was in my early 20s. Um, before that, I had everything was about achievement, 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 achievement. So when I went to that concert, which was just for the sake of pleasure, after that, I allowed myself more and more pleasure. That might mean I spent £600 on a pair of shoes, not needed, right? It's not necessary. But I found myself giving more and more and more to myself, and the woman inside began to take up more and more space. So then that allowed me in an indirect way to step away from the system our society has been built on. I know that's a peculiar, <laughs> peculiar description, but in following my joy that life has become easier. And that's when I discovered that I was a woman because I'm staying true to the woman within me instead of abandoning myself to other to external values. Uh, that's yeah that's so nice especially like connecting to who you really are and like knowing mm -hmm. knowing who you are I'm glad that also it's so nice to hear positive things about being a woman you know what I mean like I think a lot of us experience you know like being harassed being on the street yeah. etc it's nice to have like that yeah I really really like your answer <laughs> And did you grow up with any female role model? So, my mom was someone who always worked hard and um, diligence, the value of diligence was something that was instilled within me at an early age. But growing up, because I came with my father's an Arab from Northern Sudan and my mum's from the Philippines, I grew, up in, I grew up in the UK and I went to a boarding school in West Sussex. I didn't really have any, and I was typically doing things that were in an all-male environment. I could, not see my, I could not see myself anywhere. There was no representation of me. So it was almost like I had to, when I was younger, lean into myself and lean into, okay, I understand that being diligent, being focused, um, are good traits to have, being honest, all of those, all of those characteristics. I don't think I've answered your question. Did I have a female role model? I think the answer is probably, I was always inspired by my mother's dedication, but I don't think in the sense of a external role model that I did no mm. okay and yeah. how did that lack of representation of women in society impacted you probably in my in my earlier years my late teens early 20s the majority of my role models were men um because it was the men that were doing what i wanted to be doing it was the men that were polymath it was the men that were intersecting disciplines. It was the men that were building big companies. And there weren't, there's certainly, certainly 10 years ago or so, there wasn't a massive exposure, let alone celebration of women doing straight, not even strange, and women taking uncharted paths carving out their own role in society and it meant that I took the values that I could and I took the almost the permission I almost wanted permission in some in some way to pursue all my interests 
at that at that stage in life about a decade ago um and it meant that i i lent on the masculine for that um now i feel like i'm more inspired by historical female figures like cleopatra and um the late art collector peggy guggenheim because they lived really big for they lived full out um and of course we have oprah winfrey she's you know a, <laughs> a universal inspiration but i the work i've done on myself has really been about me being able to look in the mirror and be my own inspiration and take that from within that's so good and so important you mentioned that you were almost asking for permission yeah. what would you do if you were not granted that permission i've come to learn that there comes a time when if we don't give ourselves permission, I don't know if you've had this experience, but certainly in my own experience, if I don't give myself permission to go for what I want, I end up hurting myself in some way, whether that's within myself or strange things that are happening in my life. But it, that self-betrayal of saying, no, I'm not allowed those shoes or no I'm not allowed to be an artist and a scientist no I'm not allowed to whatever it might be have this brownie all of all of that at a cage and eventually if you keep growing you're going to fill the cage and there'll be the, there'll be that pain of that boundary so you have the choice either collapse back in which is painful or the permission has to be given you have to give the permission to yourself yeah, definitely. I'm glad you, yeah, give yourself permission now Myself. <laughs> um, and buy great shoes and go to fun concerts. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and you mentioned so a few of your current role models. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think they teach you? I think Cleopatra is about sovereignty, being sovereign ruler of your own life, taking command within your own um, territory wherever that territory might be whether that where however that might express itself from how you manage your energy who's allowed in your life who you work with how much of your energy you give away in your work to said friends to said family member um and also that women are really powerful um same with peggy guggenheim she doesn't even need to work to be honest with her there's stories from a she was from a, an incredibly wealthy family, but she really, she followed her, she followed her joy. She followed her, her interests and passion, passion in the arts. And, and um, I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more of that. All the lights on, women with all their lights turned on, doing what lights them up personally, professionally. Um, so yes, they inspired me to turn all my lights on. <laughs> That's so great. I love that. Yeah, you really have that that thing about you that you mentioned to like, yeah, own up who you are, your space. That's really, really cool. And I'd like to hear even more about you and about a project or life experience, achievement, something that you yeah. did that you're proud of. Can you tell us what you want to talk about? Um, I'd like to talk about Super Imaginary. So Super Imaginary is rooted in my mission to elevate quality of life globally and make life a living, breathing work of art. Um, it's 
rooted back in back in a book that I wrote maybe just under 10 years ago now that was endorsed by some wonderful people including the CEO of Charles Tirrett Shirts, Nick Wheeler um, and um, some other entrepreneurs and, and writers and it's from that place that I decided I would integrate creativity, people and science in order to produce visions for higher quality of life. How this has manifested is I did a concept design for Frame Magazine, which is all about interior design innovation, about how would we design a hotel if it was designed around making people feel more at home within themselves. And I did a talk at the Interior Design Show Vancouver of what, about what creatives of all kinds can learn from nature. I did a similar talk at Helsinki Design Week and Social Service Club. I did another talk entitled It's Not School, It's Life. So again, the same premise. How do we design educational experiences that are based around joy? And the result, the attainment being a consequence of the joy, which is what I feel is really missing in our society. The reason why working like this was I guess a bit challenging for me was again that how do I bring together everything that I'm interested in and express it in a way that's culturally relevant and I being given the space to express those ideas whether that be magazines or stages is something I'm very proud of. That sounds so interesting so you first wrote your book and then so much more I've happened. <laughs> Just going back quickly on the book, how yes. how did that start? It's like how did you? So I was on a contract at a big four consultancy firm when I was in my early twenties, and I knew very quickly that I did not want to pursue a career in finance. And when I was about twenty. I must have been about 21, maybe 22 at the time. I had a sense of purpose that I, I couldn't really articulate it. All I knew was that since I was a kid, I was keeping a book of restaurant designs, cafe designs. How would you create quality of life expressed in these, in these particular formats? And I didn't really know why I was doing that at the time, but I knew that was what I was engaged in. Uh, but at the age of 21 or 22 or so, I knew I wanted to create and I knew I wanted a self-fulfillment, but I didn't necessarily feel it was clear on how. Um, so the Fulfillment Manifesto came about as my very first creative project. And I worked with an Australian graphic designer and online, me based in London, him based in Australia, we produce the book together on print and as a on print and as an ebook. He did all the artwork and we collaborated in the creative direction and the right the writing is all mine. That's so cool. And then from there you started basically to continue working on it. Is yes. is it now your like your main activity? So the book is and the book is the, is the book my main is that is that your question no my question is because then yes. you mentioned that you start to work more in that and give talks yes. go to mm. yeah 
yeah so that's my main this is that super imaginary is my main focus and wrapped under that is the the book is part of that but i never it's interesting because at first i thought the book wasn't actually part of the work that i was doing of creating these visions but actually it is the essence of all of it which is creating prosperity and purpose if you create prosperity for yourself it is easier to create prosperity for others if you can create a beautiful life for yourself, it is easier to, to facilitate beauty in the world because you can see beauty. Cool. And so I often ask people how uh, long there is between the moment of like when they first thought about it and when they started. But for you, it's almost the up the other way around, right? You like started without even knowing you would do that. And then it kind of happened. Yeah. So after to follow the like the exact trajectory that after I created that book I still there was some still sense of I guess internal incoherence I was still exploring I dedicated my early 20s to exploring I was also the editor of the startup magazine so we me and a former peer of myself we peer um at Bristol I was his founding editor and we built a magazine together all around all around startups and technology. And I found myself making design a big part of that magazine. And then I had greater clarity on myself. Uh, prior to that, I did a course with Startup Institute, which I'm not sure if they're still active in, in London anymore, but they're based on the American Startup Accelerator System, like Techstars and all those big incubators. But it was for, for people who wanted jobs within within the technology space. So there was a lot. Of, I designed accessories. I there was a lot of experimenting. Maybe between the age of twenty three and twenty eight or so, I took part in Google Startup Weekend. I did everything that I everything that I could <laughs> to sort of gain clarity of where's my yes, where's my no, and now. I kind of settled more into, I guess I settled more into who I am. That's super cool. I, I think that's it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, did you have to define things along the way? Did I have <laughs> like, to define? To define yeah. like what you're working on, who you're working with? I think there's always the process of letting go and something new coming forward. Letting go and something new coming forward. And I did struggle a lot with, I guess, society's vocabulary and what they mean. Because you can say even the word start up is very, is very heavy with technology. It's very heavy with technology that it might deter other people from starting whatever it is that they wanted to start. It's, it's like a venture startup. Are you allowed to call yourself an entrepreneur? whatever it doesn't matter really it doesn't matter <laughs> in some in some sense um what matters is that you are aligned with what you're doing and you're happy you're happy to you're happy to do and happy to take the risk of the experimentation yeah as alan watts says where where there are no what uh, maybe my quotation is not going to be accurate but words to the effect of where there are no words there are no limits and bounds because we can see things through fresh eyes ourselves our work whatever it might be yeah yeah do you define mm -hmm. 
what it means and yeah. um, improving the quality of life. I think it's just bringing back to the magic of the everyday, bringing magic to everyday experiences. A lot of the experiences we consider to be beautiful are highly exclusive. Fashion shows, galleries, fine dining. Why is that level of artistry, that level of magic, why is that not part of, why is that not in a hospital? Hospitals are designed to heal people, not keep people inside the hospital with their bland walls. Why is there not art in hospitals? Why is there not art on our pedestrian crossings? Why, are, why do children not want to go to school? We, they should want to go to school, right? The human mind is geared around learning. What is it we've created that makes them go, no, no, no. I don't want to go to that place. It's capturing that essence, that beauty, that love, that magic that makes us move towards something and trying to make that more universal, more democratic. And of course, there's always, there will always be places where that's already the, the status quo, like in the luxury goods industry, that's always, the, that's already the status quo. And in my life, I'm hoping to see it, you know, within reason, spread across life. These concrete blocks, the airport, the airport. So the talk I did at the Interior Design Show Vancouver, I opened on a bit about the airport. The airport is a place which is very stressful. It's only stressful because we've made it that way. And we've accepted it like that. Can we do something else? Can we make it a place of comfort? Can we make it a place of safety? Can we make it a place of awe, of magic, of beauty, of high levels of hospitality. Hospitality is a massive driver of quality of life because it's the people interaction, not just the objects and the person interaction. So in short, quality of life, magic and beauty every single day, as much as possible. Oh, yeah. I love this. That's really poetic and yeah, really nice. Have you or will you work directly on spaces and on transforming spaces? I, I hope so. That, that's what my focus is at the moment. Finding the right spaces for my vision and finding the right spaces for who I am and the right people who will, who will, who will embrace that. That's so great. Do you want to tell us more about that? I don't know like how much. Um... Um, so that's what I'm working on. So a lot of what I've done has been very conceptual to date, mm -hmm. has been conceptual to date. And at the moment, I am identifying the best way for me to bring those visions to life. That's Super it. cool. Can't wait to see that. Hope it will be in London, selfishly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and was there any important figure, any important person who helped you with all of this or had an impact on it? It's not necessarily help, but at least mm. had an impact. I have had various female mentors in the past maybe five years or so. And the main thread that's common with all of them is that they've supported me in shedding things that are not me so that I can lead myself from inside. I have an amazing alignment coach, Ellen Wolf Houston, and I really appreciate her work because her work is based on the premise that we already know what we want to do. We already know who we are. It's just removing the things that are obstructing that and um, coming into alignment with who we are within so that our lives operate 
in greater integrity, perhaps is the right word, wholeness and integrity. That's very mm-hmm. beautiful. Going through all this way, um, what challenges did you face? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I, am my, I am my challenge. All the limiting beliefs, all the thoughts of what can or cannot be done, how I should and should not be living, who I should and who I should or should not be, where I, all the shoulds. Mm. And can be external, like family, not understood, misunderstood. Why is Natasha doing this, that and the other? And why is not Natasha not doing something else? But my life began to change radically when I just said yes to my desires. Um, and the obstructions that are sometimes internal, uh, so, sorry, sometimes external, but more often they're not. They're internal. Women have been guilted and shamed for God knows how many centuries. So something as small as can I have lunch and dinner at my favorite restaurant can, can trigger, can trigger, oh, it's a bit much, shouldn't be having that, shouldn't be doing that. Mm, that almost that voice in the collective consciousness, I would say, is the biggest, is the biggest barrier. And then you know, one has to choose whether they will continue to to listen to it because it's not true. Yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an example of something you let go of uh, recently? A dishonest yes. So saying yes without really counting up the cost of my yes because in me saying yes when it's not a real yes, I by default said no to myself. But that's a bit of a sneaky one, that one. Yeah, I learned about that one um, not so long ago and it really blew my mind that that thing of saying yes to someone else can be saying no to yourself. It's cleaned up my time a lot and my energy and so that that practice can have, I say no, in, in, in my experience has Small implications and big implications. Small implications might be, I don't listen to my friends complain for longer than my energy. <laughs> I have a, I've, yeah. I've given you <laughs> 25 kilojoules of my energy and now, thank you, I'm going to tap out of this conversation. It might be that to protect one's energy. But it also has allowed me to spend higher quality time with myself so I can be present for myself because, and I'm no longer <laughs> just throwing yeah. my psychological, spiritual resources left, right and centre. So it's an ongoing practice. Yeah. 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 It's often a tough one, I feel. Yeah, because especially if you don't want to let somebody down. But there's a balance. There's a, I suppose is when am I saying... When am I saying yes for the both of us? And when has my yes towards you become a genuine no to myself? When am I hurting myself in order to say yes to you? There you go. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And yeah, I guess it must have been years of practice um, <laughs> to understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But that, um, I believe, like, really good friends, families, colleagues will support you in your, in your yes. 
support you in your yes and support you in your no. But if we're not, if we don't verbalize our yes and our no, how will they know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And was there something that you found easier than you thought would have been along the way? This might be an indirect response to your question. Hopefully I'm answering your question. You can tell me if I'm answering your question. Um, when I invest more in myself, the results are a lot faster. When I can say an honest yes, so to give you some context, I have an amazing personal trainer, Sanji, who, when I had met him, I was at my wit's end with my fitness. I had been recycling personal trainers for about eight to 10 years, <laughs> and I was not seeing the intended, the desired results. So when I met Sanji, uh, needless to say, I was very skeptical. Um, I was very skeptical. And this man said to me that if I want to achieve what I want to achieve, he suggests three personal training sessions a week. Okay, which at the time <laughs> sounded a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> sounded, a, sounded, sounded a lot. Um, but because I had invested that time in myself, and of course the money in myself, and he was worth the investment, the result came a lot easier than on, put it this way, when you say, when I say yes to something I truly want, the results come quickly. Mm. But initially, following that thread of I want this, is the thoughts of this might not happen, I might be spending a lot of money, this might, whatever it might be, but in following that honest yes, the results happened a lot faster than I thought that they would. And now we've been training together nearly five years and I can't imagine my life without it. Oh. <laughs> um, but I think the, the main message to that is if there's a yes, follow the yes. The results come faster than I thought, come more easily than I thought they would through going the hard route or the unwanted route, the suffering route, the starvation route, whatever it is, you know. How, how little sleep can I, yeah, this is what I'm trying to say. The idea, so those ideas I talked about before, those patriarchal ideas, how hard can I work? How little can I sleep? How much can I push myself? How much can I serve my body in order to achieve my said, for all this heart, the results come more easily where there is more joy, which mm -hmm. was unexpected. Where there's more joy, the results just keep on coming. Where's the I must suffer? This has got to be hard. You know, training is hard, but it's set in a context that is supportive of my joy and therefore the results have come. I think that's probably the main theme of what I've been sharing this during this time. Results come faster when one follows their joy. That's such that's a beautiful message, learning. and that, like, that suits also so well your your entire discourse in the end. Yeah, which, yeah. I think that's my main. Yeah, because one would think I used to think the more I push myself, the more I suffer, the more I starve myself. But in whatever way that might be, that the results will come fast. They don't. They don't come faster because the spirit is like all all on lockdown. Yeah. Right? So if you follow your joy, the results come faster than 
than expected. Amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and why are you proud of yourself for doing this? Because I've had to transcend myself every single day. I have to work through a, a no to myself every single day. And I think that takes great courage. I think it takes great courage to keep saying yes even when everything inside you is like this is scary i don't know if this is going to work should i be doing this people will think oh blah blah whatever it might be this is excess whatever chapter there is to go okay well next level next level next level and to make that my daily practice is why i'm proud of myself that's amazing Thank you so much. I think I've reached the end of my questions. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything we haven't mentioned and that you wanted to talk about before we conclude? I believe women are far more powerful than they allow themselves. Definitely agree. <laughs> yeah, than they allow themselves to be. Nice. We're going to conclude on that then. Thank you Thank very, you. very much. Um, Thank you too. Really appreciate it um, to have you here today. Thank um, you for your time yeah and in this podcast the tradition is that the guest gets the very last word so the mic is yours follow your desire <laughs>